We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Monday of trade deadline week and it's just going to be me today. So we're just put together some notes. We're just going to rip through all trade deadline talk, news that's been going on, and then eventually get to some players that I think um, are personally interesting to me for the team to, to, to target or to, to land in some sort of deal. Um, Anybody who's been following along with this, again, we're doing this on Monday. Woj had some reporting on Sunday night, uh, Shams and John Krasinski on Monday morning. And it's all kind of leading together to to make it look like it makes the most sense for the Timberwolves if they're going to be making a trade for it to be a three-team sort of trade. And so if that's true, and we're talking about deadline movement, I think it's a better idea to talk about specific players for the team to target rather than what a trade looks like specifically. Like, I'm not going to just read off a bunch of trade machine tabs that I have up on my computer. I just don't think that that is as, you know, logical of a of a process to go through. So, for example, right before kickoff, Woj, uh, which was weird timing, he reported that the Rockets are shopping Clint Capella in, quote, multi-team trade scenarios. For a bunch of reasons, um, I could see the Wolves being involved in that trade, not as the Capella acquirer, but as one of the other teams. You know, that could be sending Robert Covington to Houston, and they would thus be involved taking back assets then from whatever team Capella ends up on. If it's Boston, whatever, then the, Wol- then the Wolves are taking back Boston assets as, you know, that. Or they could be, you know, the third team. They could be the facilitator, just like they were the facilitator of the original D'Angelo Russell trade to Golden State. Um, that was a sign and trade that ended up bringing Shabazz Napier and Trevion Graham to Minnesota in the deal. And 
that you know that could be another out. Either way, the Wolves are probably bringing back players like Shabazz Napier and Travion Graham in the sense that they would be sort of cheap little assets that cheap as in salary that help you know bolster out the roster. They're little gambles to take. So I put together a list of like five-ish players, some in more depth than others, uh, most of which are those those type of excess pieces. I tried to find guys that are on rookie deals, you know, making them both cost-controlled, and then they also sort of fit like fit the timeline of Towns and Wiggins in age. And so I'm going to get to those. But before we do that, just because this is Covington and Russell are the, you know, the hot topic, Let's talk about Robert Covington and what his, you know, his market value is and then how that could connect directly to DeAndre Russell or to um, your indirectly, where then a whole separate DeAndre Russell trade starts to happen, somehow happens. So first with Robert Covington, Woj said on his podcast last night after the Super Bowl, or I listened to after the Super Bowl, that he does not, ex- that he does expect Robert Covington to be traded this week. Um and Woj continued to say the matter sort of at hand is price. Uh, currently, the Wolves are seeking two first-round picks for Covington. And I think it's important to clarify as a side note that, you know, not all first-round picks are created equally. You know, for example, getting Houston's, like, 2020 um, first this year, which would be, you know, in the mid-20s or something, and then their 2022 first, those wouldn't be as valuable of assets as, you know, trading with Boston for who has uh, Memphis's pick this year that if, if Memphis falls out of, you know, the playoffs, then that's, you know, close to maybe a top 10 pick. It's just Houston. I mean, I'm really just saying this for Houston first round picks in the, that are traded in the next couple of years are just not going to be that valuable because they have James Harden on their team. While Harden is in his prime, probably making them pretty late first round picks like for the foreseeable future. Um. Yeah, so I, I just think just just clarify that there's there's different types of non-lottery picks. There's different types of protections. If the Wolves do get two quote unquote good firsts uh, for Covington, that should pretty much be a no-brainer to trade him. Um, even if they do have to take back some money, some extra money, whether that's extra money for this year or extra money um, for for next season as well. Uh, just kind of in an asset vacuum that. Too good first. That makes a that makes a ton of sense. You can't really say no to that. It would depend what they they do with it, but um, it's definitely a no brainer if they can get two good firsts and then reroute those. Even if they're not two good firsts, if they can, if whatever assets they can get and they can reroute them for a high end talent, um, they're going to do that. That's clearly what they're seeking, and that makes sense. The question is: Is DeAndre Russell? you know, that high-end talent. And I think a lot of people, you know, vary on that. Is he the guy you want to really go all in on? And I don't know. I've stated where I'm at on that. I think Russell's a good player, not a great player. But it doesn't really matter what we think. If the the Wolves are targeting D'Angelo Russell as the high-end player, you know, that's just what it is. And the fact of the matter is, is he's the most available high-end talent right now and, you know, in turn, that's why the Wolves are targeting him. So just as it is with Covington, um, with with Russell, it becomes a question of cost. Shams and John Krasinski of The Athletic have reported that Golden State is seeking, quote, significant draft pick com- compensation as part of any Minnesota package. 
Minnesota, and further in the report, has said that they've drawn a line in the sand that they will not um, trade their first-round pick this year unprotected for Russell. That's turned into a really good pick. The Wolves have the the fifth worst record in the NBA, which means it has a like forty-two percent chance of being a top-four pick. I mean, they could jump up. It's a that's a really valuable asset. So they've for now, you know, drawn the line there. Later in the report, um, they quoted a source saying, "There is a deal to be had here, but something would have to give." I don't totally want to totally relitigate this because I think I did an entire podcast about the way that the Timberwolves can make, you know, incentivize Golden State to to make a trade for DeAndre Russell. But I, I do want to touch on it some. Um, I think landing DeAndre Russell is ultimately about finding additional ways outside of draft capital to incentivize the Warriors to make a deal. The big incentive I see, as I've talked about before, is that they can increase Golden State's trade exception. Currently, Golden State has a $17.2 million trade exception from trading Andrea Godala into Memphis's cap space this summer. Gorgie Jank fits into that exception. So that would be step one of a non-simultaneous trade. Step two would then be trading, for example, Jared Culver for D'Angelo Russell in trade two. Culver makes $21.5 million less than Russell does, and that would thus create a new $21.5 million trade exception for Golden State. That is particularly valuable to Golden State because the Warriors could then use that trade exception this summer to trade for a player who makes under $21.5 million, but close to. Here's a list of some of those players. Terry Rozier, Zach Levine, Tim Hardaway Jr., Gary Harris, Victor Oladipo, Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, Julius Randle, Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier, Boyan Bogdanovich. Now, who knows how available any of those players are, are at, at all, but if Golden State had the assets, they had their own first-round pick, which is, you know, could, is the most likely at this point to be the top pick in the draft, and they had the Wolves' first overall pick. I mean, that is two top-five picks in this draft. No matter what you think about this draft, that's valuable. So they could basically go buy any of those guys from any any of those teams that are you know even loosely available if you throw two top five picks at them you know what is what do the Warriors look like next year with Steph back Clay back Draymond and you know you say a Zach Levine you say an Aaron Gordon um even even a Malcolm Brogdon Savonis Turner like that would be a pretty dynamic foursome it wouldn't be rebuilding at all. They would be repur- repurposing assets. They'd be paying a ton, but they'd be getting a really damn good fourth piece. So to get Golden State to agree to what is functionally a Jang and Culver for Russell swap, the Wolves would likely need to be attaching pick a pick or picks. Now, they've drawn the line in the sands. They don't want to give up that unprotected pick. Um, you know, as of now, that's that's what they, they feel. But... Uh, it still could be, it would need to be some sort of additional compensation, uh, obviously attached to just Jang and Culver are nowhere near worth as much as DeAndre Russell is. You got to remember that at the time when Golden State acquired Russell, they traded two first round picks and Andre Godala to get DeAndre Russell. Now that those two first round picks, it became one first round pick, a second, and Andre Godala, but that's still 
They gave up a lot to get DeAndre Russell. So they're not going to trade him unless they're getting back at least that. It just it wouldn't it wouldn't make sense or it would be a real indictment of the process that they acquired him in the first place. So the cost for him is going to be high. So that's just I just think that's where where we stand with Russell. And that's where we stand with Covington, both independently or interchangeably. There is uh, a heavy cost that the, for any other team to acquire Robert Covington, and there's a heavy cost for the Wolves to acquire D'Angelo Russell. Those things can synergize by the Wolves trading Covington you know, out somewhere else, taking the assets they get, and turning them into Russell. I think mixed into that, they're going to have to find a way to, though, incentivize the Warriors outside of just draft capital because they're not just going to endlessly pay assets. And, and you know, one way to do that is to is to create that exception to be bigger so that the Warriors can use that to go get a dynamic fourth player this summer. And further, they could help the I mean the Warriors just shed a lot of money in uh in getting off of Willie Cauley Stein if the if the Wolves, you know, who have some space under the tax line are able to take back even more money from Golden State and some sort of sequence of trades, they could get Golden State out of the tax altogether, which isn't I mean, it's to some it's less important to the Warriors because they're making so much money. But if the Warriors can get out of the tax this year, then they're avoiding repeater tax penalties for the future going forward. So it'd be good for them to be able to reset that clock. The Wolves could help them do that too. So, like the source said in the piece, I mean, there's a there's a deal to be had there, but something's got to give, and that's probably going to be, you know, the Warriors relenting a little bit on their their draft pick compensation and prioritizing something like tax space and or something like increasing their exception which those things don't sound that big but as they pertain to golden state they're in this weird place because they are going to quickly shift from being one of the worst teams in the league to one of the best teams in the league next year i mean everything they can do to kind of massage that together makes sense and the timberwolves are a team uniquely interested in D'Angelo Russell, thus uniquely interested in helping um, helping them make that deal work. Take a quick break so I can catch my breath while I'm talking to myself. I'll be back in a second. All right. Um, outside of the D'Angelo Russell and Robert Covington bubble, um, I took a look, just kind of went around the league looking at players who might be um, – you know, kind of the collateral damage of a trade in some sort of way, a little little pieces that end up, you know, coming back uh, in in some sort of three team deal or just or just straight up. You know, I, I looked for players who are on rookie scale contracts um, that are you know cheap and and fit Carl Anthony, namely Carl Anthony Towns's uh, timeline. The first player I looked at is uh, Malik Beasley, so I'm just going to kind of run down. Um, what I perceive him to be and how I, I see him kind of fitting in with the, the Timberwolves. Beasley is six foot five. He plays the wing for the Denver Nuggets. He's 23 years old, was the number 19 pick in the 2016 draft. Uh, he is on an expiring contract for $2.7 million, but um, will be a restricted free agent. So that will be a little bit more attractive, you know, to, to sign. It's kind of, it's kind of like what they would have done or did with Alan Crabb where, you're getting a, a player that's expiring, but you also have their bird rights to be able to, you know, sign them next year. This is, you know, a step on top of that where it's um, also a, you know, a restricted free agent. So they would, they would have a little bit extra power to be able to retain Beasley next year. So I think that makes him, you know, somebody worth paying for sure, paying 
uh, an ass at our true four. Uh, this year in Denver, he's he's just had an inconsistent role. Um, though he's started to you know play a little bit more lately. Looking at it, uh, they Will Barton's been a lot better for them, and Michael Porter Jr. is playing. So it's been difficult for them to carve out any sort of consistent role for them. And I think that is why you'll see that his numbers are worse. He's only averaging uh, eight points per game, two boards, one assist, 36% shooting from three in 18 minutes per game. Uh, last year, he had a bigger role, 23 minutes per game. He was kind of like the sixth, seventh man for them. Started 18 times, 11 points per game, two and a half rebounds, one assist, and 40% um, from three. If you look at it in uh, terms of RPM, last year he was 20th among um, shooting guards and offensive real plus, plus, real plus minus. Uh, defensively, he was fourth to last. Uh, it's kind of that that shakes out to be was 45th overall among shooting guards. It's a similar profile to like an Evan Fournier, you know, a good offensive player, uh, defensive issues on the other side of the ball. This year, um, those offensive numbers are worth. He's worse. He's down to 38th among among shooting guards and defensively remains uh, well below average. He's 52nd overall among shooting guards. That's more of a profile similar to Langston Galloway, a little less um, impactful offensively and still bad uh, defensively. Just sitting down to watch um, his shots last night that he's, he's taken this season, it's, just, it's pretty clear to just see that um, Malik Beasley is a microwave scorer and the type of player who is not super concerned with the defensive side of the ball that just, that just pops. That's his game. Um, he had elite offensive efficiency last season. Uh, he was in the 94th percentile in terms of points per shot attempt, and he also really rarely turned the ball over. That's, those two things are the difference with his offensive profile this year, at least statistically, is um, he's not scoring as efficiently, uh, and he is turning the ball over more. Uh, I think some of that you know, has, has to do, as I said before, with the, the presence of Michael Porter Jr., uh, that Beasley, even though he's like six five, he was playing. He was mostly playing the three last year, at least according to including the glasses data, and he's now down to playing the two. It's so it's just it's been a different sort of like construct for that team in Denver this year. And I think you know part of the residual damage is that is that Beasley has he has taken somewhat of a hit. Um, to use like a Wolves comparison is kind of cliche, but it's he's Andrew Wigginsy where. Uh, He's, you know, he's an offensively focused player that um, uses both the the three point shot and is not afraid to, you know, operate from the mid range. Uh, Beasley gets some more uh, like catch and shoot three point looks than Wiggins does, um, whereas Wiggins is a little bit um, because he's bigger, um, gets in deeper to the defense, has a lot more of like a floater game than Beasley does. But still, if you kind of get what I'm saying, it's it's the same sort of. Uh, you know, form of a player where it's it's someone who's taking their guy off the dribble, running off of screens, trying to put pressure um, on the defense by puncturing it. Otherwise, just uh, just spotting up and, and taking threes. Uh, what would it cost the Wolves? They're, they have the fifth worst record in the league, so that means they have the fifth and 35th overall pick this season. It might sound surprising that the 35th overall pick could do it for Beasley, but... I think you're at least in the conversation there, um, as far as asset value goes. It's a that's a, you know that's a valuable second round pick. It would be the the second rounder that Denver would get would be an, a cheap player 
um, way cheaper than whatever Malik Beasley would get on the free agent market. So it would, you know, it m- makes a lot of sense given where Denver's at, where they just might not be able to take him back. Um, even with Paul Millsap, Plumlee, Hernan Gomez, Beasley, and Craig all coming off the books next year, Denver has $109 million committed to just seven players. The salary cap's 115. So they're just like, they're really at a place where retaining any of the free agents is just going to be hard for them to do this year. So, so grabbing the 35th overall pick that they could, you know, either just draft another second round pick or, re, you know, repurpose that asset themselves into, you know, going out and getting it maybe a, dead, a, a veteran here at this deadline or a veteran in the summer. That's, that's a, that's a valuable asset. And I think it's something that, you know, kind of lines up well with the wolves. We know the wolves need a creator on the perimeter. So uh, I think Beasley fits that mold. Obviously the the defense is discouraging, but if we're talking about a, you know, a, a cheap asset, um, you can, you can paint a picture where it makes sense to grab Beasley, plug him into the long-term vision of this team that, you know, theoretically has better defenders coming in over time. And, and, you know, he makes sense as a off the bench microwave sort of guard, maybe even, you know, while the team is still rebuilding, he has a, you know, he has a starting role, eventually moves to the bench. I don't know. He's young. He fits cat's profile. He's a pretty fun player, a dynamic scorer. I think it would be, um, you know, I think it would be a, a good fit with the Wolves. The The other name I've looked at that I think looked at extensively that I think makes a lot of sense, and that's just basically any player from Brooklyn makes sense because the Wolves seem to love to make um, trades with Brooklyn because a lot of their coaching staff and front office has experience with those players. Um, so I looked at Rodian, Rodian's Kuruks, uh, who is like a combo forward uh, for the Nets, he, you know, maybe fits into that depressed asset um, on a rookie scale deal role. He's, did I say 6'9 already? He's 6'9, 22 years old, was the 40th overall pick in the 2018 draft. Super cheap contract, 1.7 mil this year, 1.8 next year, and 1.9 the year after that. I think if they, they traded Covington, Kuruks could fill, um, you know, some of those small ball four minutes. Now, is that the, the long term answer there? I don't know. Could it be the bench small ball four? Probably. I think I think Kuruks is a is a solid player who could definitely uh, develop into that. Um, as far as this season go, like Beasley, Kuruks's role changed a lot this season. Um, they obviously acquired Torian Prince and and gave Prince an extension, really committing uh, to having Prince be that sort of combo forward for them. Uh, really, really decreasing. Uh, Kuruks's minutes last year as a rookie, he started 46 games for Brooklyn. They were 28 and 18 in those games. Uh, he averaged eight and a half points, four rebounds, one assist, 31.5% shooting from three, 54% from two. And that was in 21 minutes per game. It was kind of like one of those you start, but don't play a ton roles, but you know, it was a, it was a starter on a playoff team, started playoff games. Uh, he was a, he was a meaningful player last year as a rookie this year, his minutes per game, his it's it's way down. It's 13 per game. A lot of those have been inconsistent of when the Nets have had injuries or just garbage time kind of stacking up for him. But the the pure counting numbers are 13 minutes per game, four and a half points, two and a half rebounds, one assist. I guess you can polish that out to sound like good uh, per 36 minute numbers. I think the one attractive thing is this season, his three-point percentage has jumped up from 31% to 47%. Um, it's only 47 attempts, but 
really if you, if you watch him shoot he he looks like you know your classic stretch forward like he has a he has a clean shot he has the ability to you know if you if you get out on the perimeter and try and take that away from him to to take you off the dribble he's a, a rip through get to the rim um he's a he's a really good athlete he'll get up and dunk on you um at the rim so he's a he's a multi-level scorer i don't think he'll do much for you from the mid-range but you know that's not really important in minnesota uh so i don't know if if covington is out of the picture this is you know that this is an option uh, he he's not robert covington he it's i don't want to like compare the two uh kuruks is like way thinner um he'd probably get punished a lot more on the interior in the minutes when he was playing the four next to cat that covington does but uh, at least statistically um, the team numbers when Kuruks has been on the floor haven't been bad. They've always rebounded well, um, which has always been a bugaboo, you know, for for those Wolves team that's been terrible at defensive rebounding every year of Cat's uh, career. So I don't know. Maybe that is you know, somewhat encouraging, at least to convince you that those two could work together in the front court for you know 15 minutes a game, something like that. Uh, as far as advanced numbers go, it's a super small sample this year. Like I said, he's only playing 13 minutes per game, but he is both. He's positive in both offensive and defensive RPM this year. Uh, but that kind of fades pretty quickly when you look at last year when he played more, that he was he was negative on both sides of the ball. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I see him to be a guy that you could sign and you're not – it's not like Beasley where you're like, oh, he's clearly an offensive player, poor defensive player. I think with Kuruks you're getting a pretty, you know, a pretty balanced player. Plays, plays two ways but not at uh, – a really really high level uh but but he's 22 he could develop i think more brooklyn though doesn't seem like the place for him to develop i mentioned tory and prince they're obviously adding kevin durant next year in the combo forward role too it just seems like he for the rest of that rookie deal would just be restricted to fringe rotation forward if you know if playing at all and i think that just makes means he you know he has to be available uh and, and, you know, theoretically fits the small ball system of the Wolves. I should point out, though, that's kind of, you know, duplicitous with what Keita Bates-Diop is. You know, functionally, a, you know, a similar player. Uh, Kuruks, same draft, eight picks before Bates-Diop, you know, similar sort of contract. Uh, I don't know. It would be, it would be somewhat of an indictment of, of Keita if, if the Wolves did go out and get well, any, any sort of small ball power, power forward because they already have one in theory with, with Bates Diop. But it is just important to remember that, you know, KBD was a draft pick of the previous regime. This, this front office isn't married to him. They just uh, inherited him. So I think it's, uh, you know, we don't need to cross off the possibility of this team adding power forwards because they have like Bates Diop and Jake Lehman. That's, that shouldn't restrict them at all, but functionally, I think Kuruks and Bates Diop would be at a similar level. Maybe I would say a higher ceiling for for Kuruks than Bates Diop, but I don't know. Generally, that uh, other other players in Brooklyn, just quickly because I think we, we've got a. It seems like the most likely trade partner for for the Timberwolves, or it has been, is uh, Jean and Musa is a wing. He was the 29th overall pick, late first in 2018. He doesn't play for Brooklyn, hasn't really either year, uh, but he's you know he's a young player, also on a rookie scale deal, former first round pick not long ago. Uh, Tim Rolls' assistant GM, John Luca Pascusi, was in 
Brooklyn's front office when they made that pick. You would think he would be abundantly aware of you know of what he is as a player. Uh, so that would you know be if he had if he had something to say about drafting him, he'd probably have something to say about trading for him. So factor that in, and then also Theo Pinson just kind of you know scrambling, looking for another lead guard for this team to potentially acquire. That would seem like the only one on Brooklyn that they could really make a move for. Pinson's like a big lead guard, but he's he is a combo guard. Um, when Kyrie has missed time this year, obviously it's been kind of Spencer Dinwiddie has been inserted into the main guard role, but Pinson has had has had stretches where he's played a lot for them. Um, he's also on a super cheap contract, so it's it's mostly that a player they'd be familiar with because so much of the staff and front office was with him last year. And, you know, a cheap asset to be able to bring back um, to help the team for the rest of the season and also be, you know, under team control for another year. So I would if you're thinking about Brooklyn or if I'm thinking about Brooklyn, those are, you know, those are the three names I'm I'm kind of looking at outside of Brooklyn. um, You know, thinking about that league guard, I started um, I went back and and reread Kevin O'Connor's trade deadline piece from last week. And he brought up uh, Denzel Valentin, who's in Chicago, not really um, having much of a role, but similarly um, on a rookie scale contract. Again, fits fits that age curve. Uh, he'd be a restricted free agent in the summer. Though I'm, you got to think the Wolves would be able to acquire him for really cheap. Uh, and he could, he could fill that, that lead guard role. Um, I went and watched the limited time that uh, Valentine has played this year, and he really is a—he really does have an, an off-the-dribble game, and he kind of—it's—I don't want to make the Zach Levine comparison because he's nowhere near the athlete Levine is, but they—they they, in Chicago they've used him functionally similar, where he's kind of flying off screens, taking three pointers on the move, and he looks—he <clears throat> looks pretty comfortable uh, doing that. In O'Connor's piece, he referenced that since 2017-18. Uh, that Valentin's made 39% of his threes uh, off the dribble, and that's good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the the highlights look like there's a player in there still. He's dealt with ankle injuries pretty much, you know, to start that the whole beginning of his rookie his rookie year ended up having surgery. We haven't really got to see what he is as an NBA player. That's just the type of guy that you know, if you're the Timberwolves and you're 15 and 33, it makes sense to to take a look at if you can get. Um, if you can get him in some sort of cheap sort of move where you're you're willing to um, sell off a draft pick to get a guy who's a little bit more established. I just don't know. I don't know how much big picture this front office is going to want to bring in 19 and 20 year olds anymore. Uh, if if we're concerned about Towns's window, you got to kind of have players who can help him now. So trading, <clears throat> if it were to be their second round pick, that 35th overall pick this year, for Denzel Valentine, I'd have to think the Bulls would jump on that. Maybe that's an overpay, but you're getting a player that if you feel confident you can resign this summer in restricted free agency, you're, you're getting a player more likely, I think, to contribute next season than whoever they draft um, at 35 is. That's pretty much all I got. Obviously, there's D'Angelo Russell. Um, he He's the big name. We went through all of that. As a player... Um, it's been hard for, for me. It's been hard to watch Golden State games, but I will say that he would fit this system offensively really well. 
Um, he is bombing threes almost 10 a game and and making 38% of them. He he also is the type of player who, you know, gets downhill and he 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 does use the mid-range. We saw that a ton um in the game when he was here against Minnesota, but he also can kind of get into that floater range. And while I'm sure Saunders and Rosas would prefer their lead guard to be a guy who goes to the rim and finishes, Russell's found a way to make that part of his game, his offensive game, you know, effective, effective and efficient. Um, obviously, the other side of the coin is the defense. But, you know, at, at some point, and particularly if it's straight up for Covington, I totally hear the argument of, all right, your team's really bad at defense. You're trading your best defender for a player who is good at offense and bad at defense. That, in a vacuum, doesn't make sense. But it's just important to acknowledge that Covington's presence is not fixing the Timberwolves' defense. At least it's not fixing the Timberwolves' defense when he plays with Carl Anthony Towns. And Carl Anthony Towns is going to play defense for the Timberwolves for the foreseeable future. So, to me, yeah, you got to have as many good defensive defensive pieces around Cat as possible. But at the end of the day, Timberwolves are just never going to be good at defense if Carl Anthony Towns is is not able to execute defensively the role he's being handed. So, I think you're going to have a you're going to have a bad defense with Robert Covington if Cat doesn't change defensively, and you're going to have a bad defense with DeAndre Russell too. I think you'll probably have a better offense. So, I don't know. There, there's different things we're, we're talking about here. I think everyone who's listening to this podcast knows I'm in the boat of why rush to trade Robert Covington. I think he's a, a hell of a player. He's got two more years left on his deal. He's he's excellent. I don't think his asset value droops this summer. I, I think whatever you'd be able to get for him now, you could get close to that in the summer. You could probably get close to that next year at the deadline. So so why rush? But I'm just saying, preparing myself that if this sort of swap happens, looking for the logic would just be that, you know, Robert Covington's a great defender, but he isn't making the Timberwolves defense better because Carl Anthony Towns plays defense for the Timberwolves. What Cat does individually is going to change where this team is, is defensively. Covington helps that some. Russell helps that none. But... um if they get Russell, it'll be part of a whole sort of structural rebuild where they're going to have to figure out how to make this team better defensively. Um, and I don't know. Part of the, I think the initial bet will just be that they'll try and outscore people um, in the short term. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. I think this week will be um, will be super interesting to follow. Not just um, not just from the you know the wolf standpoint, but from around the league. It's going to be. It's going to be these 3D sort of chess moves, whether it's, you know, the Wolves or Houston or whatever, where it just deals don't line up one team to one team right now. So and I see all people, you know, sending me screenshots of their trade machine, this and that. And like, I see you. I just think we're like, we're, we're picking out one penny in a pile of change. There's just so, there's so many different ways this, this can go for me to try and like assemble the madness I'm just trying to look at what what is each Timberwolves player worth in what is their asset value to the Timberwolves? What is their asset value on the market? If those don't line up, can you find something, you know, something that that can work? And then, you know, looking outwardly, 
around the league, as I did with a few here, you know, does Denzel Valentine make more sense in the Timberwolves than he does in the Chicago Bulls? Yeah, probably. You know, so those are those are the sort of things to look at. I don't expect there to be some outside of Russell. I mean, that could happen. I don't I don't think some sort of other big name, big money guy is coming in here. That hasn't been the indication that I've gotten. That said, a whole bunch can change now from where we're exactly 72 hours away from the the trade deadline. Like things things can turn. My bet is just that um <laughs> we're getting a Covington deal, we're getting a Russell deal, or we're just getting stuff um small in the margins where I think uh we we see this is the first time that the this Wolves front office that is uh, supposedly really smart is able to, you know, kind of show their mettle of what what it is they're they're able to do as far as manipulating manipulating the roster goes. So I'm um, excited to see that uh plug that I have a story on actual basketball on zone coverage that I um, I published today. A lot of it is about um, the system, but specifically the defense and and just kind of questioning how this I get the offensive system uh, makes a ton of sense for Carl Anthony Towns. How does this defensive system work for Cat? So I put a lot of time into that. Check that out on the site. Um, I'll have I'm doing a trade deadline mailbag. So if you have sort of follow up questions from this podcast on any of those players or just want me to kind of dig into any sort of weird fringy guy like a Rodian's Kuruks, um, send me uh, send me a reply to my tweet on Twitter, DM, email, whatever, and I'll try and get to uh, you know as many of those questions as I can for Wednesday's mailbag. And then Charlie and I will be back uh, pretty much right after the deadline on Thursday to talk about whatever it is uh, they do end up doing. We'll we'll see what that looks like. Um, I don't know. It can go in so many different directions. Until then, I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.